Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And good morning, everyone. This is uh, Pat Harridan from Gallagher Benefits. This is McNamara on Money. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, that was a good uh, discussion from Bruni about all things um, uh, mental health and counseling. And now we're going to shift gears a little bit, talk about a new um, state law that is uh, taking effect very shortly. And I am very happy to be joined by uh, Bill Alpine, who's the director of the um, Massachusetts Division of Family Medical Leave, which is a new uh, a new agency within uh, state government. Uh, good morning, Bill. Good morning, Pat. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for sitting through our legal disclaimers. <laughs> I'm used to it. Yes, I know. Um, so, Bill, just uh, well, we, I have literally uh, a thousand questions, but um, sure. uh, let's uh, just uh, let make make sure everyone. I know part of the job. I think people have heard some of the ads and have attended some of the sessions. But if you could just, uh, I guess, take a step one step back first and just sort of, can you introduce yourself? And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is a new agency within state government that you're uh, heading. If you can just give us a little bit of a background on yourself and the agency, and then we can talk specifically about the, the new law. Yeah, sure. So um, I started in the position in February. It is a new agency, as you said. It was created as part of the grand bargain last summer. Um, right now, we are gearing up for our contributions uh, collection process, which begins on October 1st. Any of you have seen our ads, we <laughs> say to everybody, are you PFML ready? Yes. Uh, and that's been our tagline. Um, so we've been up and running as an agency since about, I was the first employee uh, that was hired in uh, February. Right now we have four employees. Ah. We're uh, doing our best to manage all the calls, manage all the emails, manage the website, and, and obviously distributing the information. You know, by way of background, just briefly, I'm an attorney. I uh, was an in-house counsel for uh, an environmental company previously to this. And before that, I was uh, a member of uh, the Commonwealth's uh, personnel team as well. I worked for the Commonwealth for 17 years previously, so oh. kind of ended up where I started, I guess. Yeah. Um, yes. 
Now, well, you're getting all the attention, which is, I don't know, necessarily a good thing. But um, so basically, uh, Bill, the reason you mentioned the grand bargain, um, you know, sort of legislation last year. So basically what the state, uh, um, and again, for our listeners, we're going to oversimplify a lot um, just to get right. people aware. Obviously, there's going to be specific, very specific issues depending on your situation and your employer. But we just want to a, get the word out, um, or help yep. get the word out. Um, so, just in general, um, if I can summarize, and if you can correct, uh, Bill. So, basically, we have a law that um, was passed that has sort of differing effective dates for different things, which I think is causing probably a little bit of the confusion, um, yep. you know, if there is any. So, basically, in general, uh, the state passed a law to give uh, paid family and medical, so not just medical, it's family leave as well, to uh, people that work in uh, Massachusetts beginning in 2021, and again, depending on the type of leave, either January or July, which we'll, we'll cover, but people are getting notices now, or they should be getting notices now, they have until uh, the end of the month, uh, getting notices now around it. Um, so again, this was passed as a way to help people, I think, who their employer did not provide any type of leave because obviously I work with employers all the time that provide something, some sort of leave, but, uh, and we'll get into this too, it may not be as comprehensive as, as the state law. So what is the, so as of right now, Bill, what is the most pressing deadline for employers out there? The most pressing deadline right now for the employers is obviously our contributions deadline, which starts rather on October 1st. And, and, and stepping back, the way I the best describe this is it's in that sense a, con, a continuation of what a, many employers are already um, d dealing with right now, which is the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act. That's a, uh, a leave that employees can take, mm -hmm. but it's generally not compensated. This program in essence, takes over from that for the state level and allows wage replacement to employees up to $850 a week right now. That's the general overview. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as October 1st, that's when employees are going to start to see deductions from their paychecks uh, if the employer passes on those statutory allowable uh, contributions. Mm -hmm. What the employer should be doing right now is, is disseminating and distributing, if they haven't already, the message to their employees about the program, about the upcoming deductions, about the potential benefits beginning in 2021. So all of that, we've tried to enhance and assist the employer and the employee community with our ads, with our website, and our radio ads as well, getting that message out there. It is uh, pretty critical. Mm -hmm. um, it was, as you probably know, originally July 1st uh, as a result of legislative action that was extended from July 1st to October 1st. So October 1st now is, is the contributions deadline. Contributions for the quarter beginning in October through December 31st uh, will be then remitted to the Department of Revenue via the Mass Tax Connect system at the end of January of 2020. Mm -hmm. so, um, so for right now, so if you're an employer, regardless of how many people you employ, which I think is key too, because a lot right. of these laws used to have exemptions. Uh, I know the, the rules are going to be a little different depending on size, but it, it affects everyone if you employ anyone. That's sort of the message that's been delivered. Um, that's correct. And so everyone should be, have received or will receive a notice by September 30th, I think is the deadline for the notice um, from your employer. And that would, A, uh, and that the, for the employers out there, they don't have to recreate the wheel. The notice is sort of online. And I'll give the website a couple of times, uh, Bill, during the thing. But it's basically sure. the, the, the mass.gov um, website, and you can just slash DFML. Uh, and look for the required notices. I think it's in there in English and Spanish, uh, at least now. Um, but the notice, um, notice needs to, you need to have the notice, and they'll tell you, to Bill's point, they'll tell you whether or not they're going to uh, pay the whole thing or uh, require uh, you to pay 
a percent, and we'll talk about what the cost is in a second. Um, one question I did have, Bill, and it may be it may be down the road of too technical, but I just got it um, yesterday. On so everyone, all the current employees have to be notified by September thirtieth. Um, what if someone is hired after uh, September thirtieth? someone was reading sort of a 30-day notice, but most, most of our employers don't hire people that far in advance. How does that new notice work for the new hires? Yeah, no, it's generally 30 days after they've been hired. That's when the, you should receive this acknowledgement form back. And, and the acknowledgement form okay. uh, is, something, is something that we've developed. Uh, it's actually in 13 different languages. Uh, oh, wow. There's a poster requirement that has to be posted in the workplace in a conspicuous place like the break room that gives a general overview. And that acknowledgement that you're referring to, Pat, um, gets into a little more detail, as you, as you mentioned, about uh, the contributions, the deductions. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a box there for if a, if a private company has a private plan and they opt out. Mm-hmm. So all of this is provided to the employee um, and right now, we've established September 30th as the deadline, the day before contributions start showing up uh, for your existing employees. Um, but for new employees, it should be we're telling all of our employers that uh, it should be part of your on- onboarding process when you yep. uh, make make new hires. Yep. Nope. Makes sense. Um, so obviously, so people are going to um, start to see uh, potentially something coming out of their paychecks. In October, because the key thing to remember here is this is a, it's paid family leave when the leave is taken, but this isn't funded necessarily by uh, the taxpayers. It's funded primarily by employers and the employees themselves uh, into a pool, I'm sure, of, uh, th- as you mentioned, through the, the Mass DOR. Um, let's just talk about... Um, the employer that is over, which is the majority, I think, of our listeners. So if you work for someone who has more than 25 uh, individuals, so last year they employed more than 25, you know, you work for a, a, a mid-sized to large-sized company, sort of what is the cost and then what are the options for the employer with that cost? So the contribution rate right now is point. Seven five percent of wages earned. So, simplest way to explain it is if somebody is making a thousand dollars a week, what's coming into the program for that individual employee on a weekly basis is seven dollars and fifty cents. That breaks down into our medical plan at point six three percent, and on our family leave plan at point one two percent. And that is where a lot of the uh, contribution splits begin with respect to the employers above and below 25. So if you're an employer above 25 employees, the employer pays 60% of the medical share, again, the 0.63. They can pass on to the employee 0.4% of that. And then on the medical side, of the, excuse me, the family side of things, the employer can pass that entire amount, that 0.13, onto the employee. So the way it splits out is with the calculations, and we have a very extensive calculation, <laughs> calculation system on our website. Um, the way it generally breaks out is, is if the employer avails themselves of the statutory allowable pass-ons, it comes out to roughly a 50-50 split between the employee and the employer. So they're splitting that $7.50 roughly 50-50. And if you're below 25 employees, Mm -hmm. then the employer does not pay its share, the 60% of the medical. Um, And neither the employer nor the employee pays that. Smaller employers obviously will be contributing less to this program. And so we've established that uh, cutoff at 25. You're going to be basing that 25 above or below based on your prior calendar year workforce level. And for this uh, coming October, when you're able to log in a Mass Tax Connect for the first time, it will be based on your 2018 staffing levels. 
2018. Got it. Um, so, Bill, you mentioned um, the question I get, um, just as an aside, is so for those smaller employers, the ones that have fewer than 25, again, they're they're charging. They can charge the employee the full, you know, um, 0.13 on the uh, on the family piece. But they don't, and they can charge the the forty percent uh, of the point six two. Who pays the 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 sixty percent of the point six two? If it's below twenty five, it's not paid by anybody. If it's above that, then the employer pays that. Got it. So it's just so, it, it's right. So the 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 contribution rate is set in a funding schedule that would account for the fact that the smaller employers just aren't going to contribute much to the pool, more less than the pool than the larger employers. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Got it. Um, so, um, so these are the contributions. So let's. Uh, this is going to get confusing. So let's just stick with this. Let's assume someone, one of the employers, has um, elected the state plan because you mentioned if if the employer has a, a private plan that's at least as generous, they have to apply for an exemption. But let's assume that the employer says, "Hey." this paid family leave uh, plan sounds good. I'm going to do that. They're going to start taking contributions out uh, beginning after 10-1 of this year, correct? That's correct. And the, the, amount, um, the amount that all those... So I guess the employer on the large side has the option to pay the full thing, obviously, if they wanted to. They don't have to charge the employee anything. That's correct. Um, we do have we have heard from some employers that they are going to assume the full amount and pay the entire amount as an added benefit to their employees. Right. So in your notice, there's a section. I, I think it's uh, depending on how the notice gets printed. It's in there. It will show you or tell you what your employer. They'll either check the box saying they have a private plan and they've applied for an exemption or they're they don't have one and they're going to charge you x and they'll give you the per, they'll give you the percentages that they're going to uh charge you or their pay uh, they won't give you the amounts because you know everyone's pay is different but is that correct bill it'll be on the form yeah that's that, yeah. that that's right on the form itself um an employee should be uh very clearly made aware of uh, of, of how the breakdown is going to break out between the employer and the employee, and we've tried to simplify that uh, so it's uh, an easily explainable document, and that has to be signed by all employees. When it's handed to them, it has to be returned by September 30th. That's the date we're, we're putting in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also requires employers to get the acknowledgement signed even when an employee is not acknowledging because you know, there's obviously going to be situations where an employer can't uh, get a signature from an employee so we've established some steps there to help our employers so one of the things that's in the statute that you have to almost get like a negative acknowledgement right so it's almost like you have to make the a, a good faith effort to get it um, knowing that obviously some people are just going to refuse to sign anything absolutely and we've tried to <laughs> streamline that using your best diligence follow your company policies if you don't have company policies maybe it's a good time to start looking at uh, revising them <laughs> yes so uh so on the employer side uh if i can summarize hopefully uh, a couple of things uh and again we're keeping it high level there's a little bit more intricacies obviously if you have a private right. private plan um so on the on the employer side uh you have to have the by this is by September 30th. You have to have the the poster you mentioned that you'd find that for your employees out there. There's usually a section could be in the break room or it's somewhere uh, where you have all the those posters about workers comp and the minimum wage and all that. It should be somewhere around there is my guess, Bill. That's where it would go. That's that's exactly what we're saying. We're <laughs> in the break room where you have your wage uh, law poster and your OSHA uh, poster. Okay. Exactly. Good. And then, so, you post have that poster up. Uh, and is that poster uh, available on the website, too, or something they can download? Yeah, that's on that's on the website as well, and that's also in 13 languages. Oh, wow. Good. Uh, and then, obviously, as we just mentioned, you got to provide the written notice and get the acknowledgement uh, back, and this is all by uh, September 30th, which is, you know, a, a week from this upcoming uh, Monday. And that's for all employers, regardless of what you're going to do. In other words, if you're going to pay the whole thing, you still need to do the notices 
and the poster and whether you're 25 or below or 25 and above, everyone has to do um, the noticing and the postering. That's correct. Um, the only exception being that there is an exception in the statute for municipalities. Municipalities yes. are not covered under this program. And uh, there's also, we follow the unemployment statute. So okay. how you do your unemployment will determine how you do the contributions with us. And we follow that statute because it's referenced in our statute in about a dozen places. And if you have, if you're excluded from unemployment, then you're generally going to be excluded uh, of having to make contributions with us. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, and again, that's more on the employer side. And that whole Mass Tax Connect thing, that's an employer uh, for the people who aren't, you know, employers. That's how the employers in the Commonwealth make their quarterly withholding payments. It's a portal that uh, they'll be able to do that. So if you are an employer, so you start withholding in October, which is Q4, and then you'd remit that by the end of January uh, for, for the Q4 withholdings, is my guess. That's correct. January 31st, that's when, that, uh, that's when we'll see our first return. <laughs> that's, and that's when we'll know how we're, uh, how, we're how, doing how, as far as collections. How, how we're doing, right. And then, so the key thing to remember, I think, and again, we'll talk about this next, is so it, you're starting to contribute now in you know, October of 2019. Your employer, so the employee doesn't really have to do anything other than, you know, if, if there's any money coming out of their check, they're going to uh, they're gonna see that um, deduction. But the, so the law requires, and there's a, obviously a reason for this that sort of makes sense if you think about it. But so the leaves won't start, though, or the, the um, certain leaves won't start until 20, January 1st of 2021, Bill, correct? That is correct, and there's generally four types of leaves. Uh, three of them, in essence, start in January of 2021. Uh, the last uh, one takes effect in July 2021, as you mentioned earlier. And, and so, um, and the reason for that bill is, is somewhat simple, but it, it it may be worth it a little bit. Is obviously this is a the funding from this is coming from the employers and the employees. Um, so the leaves can't start right away because there's no funding for the for the pool. Um, right. So there's a ramp up time, and you mentioned uh, some people may have some old data. When the law was changed and the delay in contributions, that's when the percentage went up to the 0.75 percent. Um, yeah. So, go ahead. No, I'm saying, yeah, we, we, we have to raise the same amount of money in a shorter period of time, and obviously we need to build up a reserve for when we start opening up the gates on July, on January 1st, 2021. Right. So so that's why, so people can understand that, the, the, because the funding, it's not a taxpayer-funded thing where there was funding allocated or appropriated for this. This is, you know, the two, the two sides are going to put the money into the pool, and then it's going to take, you know, the, the 15 months to to get the pool started, and then, you know, on, on January 1, 20, we'll talk about the leaves after the this break. But so from the employer side, just to recap, send the notice, post the poster, get the acknowledgement, and then obviously, hopefully, your payroll company has figured out <laughs> how to do the um, contributions based on what you've decided to do, and the deductions will start um, from their employees. So it could be, depending on when you're paid, you know, the first week in October or the middle of the month, depending on how you're paid. But you will see um, something unless your employer has decided um, not to do any deductions for anything. That's correct. Uh, but even in that case, they should still do the acknowledgement. Oh, yeah. They're still required to do the acknowledgement. Uh, um, but, yeah, uh, for those of you that you have an employer that's going to pass that on, um, it'll be fairly innocuous. Right, and then it's just a matter of being aware, because you're not paying for it, uh, being aware that the benefit will be out there, and I'm sure that you guys are doing a great job now of making people aware. So uh, after the break, we will talk about it from the employee side of things, and I have questions that will take us till noon, but we're going to stop at 10 o'clock. And good morning, everyone. Again, this is Pat Harridan from uh, Gallagher Benefits, filling in for Mike. Uh, we're talking with uh, Bill Alpine, who's the head of the newly created Mass Division of Family and Medical Leave. We're talking all things PFML and asking the question, I guess, are you 
PFML ready? And when we ask that, Bill, to our uh, clients, they always ask, what does the PFML stand for? So, <laughs> Aid, family, and medical. Yes, I know. <laughs> I get it, but I, I get nervous when they don't know that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Especially, I know, I know. And, and we have, as you know, um, and this is where I think, I think you guys have done a great job in getting the word out. And are there any, as a uh, follow-up to that, are there any more public sessions? I know you guys are doing some sessions with the different um, like, you know, legal and accounting groups, but are there any more public sessions that you guys are having? Um, not, not, in the, not in the way that we did it back when we had uh, put out some draft regulations. Okay. We have opening, but we're doing a lot of outreach. I think I put 10,000 miles on my car in like five months, just you know, <laughs> going all around the state, um, you know, Pittsfield. Uh, I think I was even, you know, I was obviously out on Nantucket as well a couple of weeks ago. So we're getting the message out through chambers, yep. through employer associations, and, uh, you know, certain stakeholder interest groups. No, that's great. I think, you know, I, I, hear, the, I hear the radio ad every, every morning. Uh, but for people who right. want, want information, uh, you know, it's mass.gov slash DFML, and it's Division of Family and Medical Leave. Um, so we talked a little bit about on the employer side. Uh, now we'll talk about the employee side. But one last... Uh, sort of question that hit me, um, because I, I think I know the answer to this, but um, some people have asked, uh, the 0.75%, you know, the total, obviously that was increased because of the ramp up was shortened uh, by a few months. Is there any, I mean, is that, is that something that's evaluated, going to be evaluated at the end of every year, Bill, to determine if it's, if it's funding enough or depending on utilization, is that going to have an opportunity to go back down to where it was or, or do we know that yet? Sure, anything's possible. It gets evaluated on an <laughs> annual basis every October. Okay. Um, the first time that we do that is in October 2021, um, when we have at least some type of experience level from the claims that come in through the process in January, beginning in January 2021. So, yeah, that is that is something that I'm statutorily mandated to evaluate, uh, adjust, develop, and then publish that rate through uh, a regulatory uh, process website, etc. Got it. Okay. No, it makes sense. Uh, some people equate that to like the mass tolls. At some point, they're supposed to go away or go down, but they never do. Um, right. <laughs> do uh, so. One of the questions we have as we go to employees is who. So we got a lot of you know listeners out there that work for different companies. Obviously, you know I think it's very clear. Even if you work for a company that's not based here, uh, but you work here. Uh, you're covered, but what are what's a covered person for this law uh, under the regulations for this paid family leave? The, the 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 covered individual is 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 very you know basic at least for W twos. Um, if you are a W two employee that is working in the Commonwealth, um, then you are likely. Uh, eligible for this program. Again, as I said earlier, we follow the unemployment statute. Mm -hmm. So if you are a Massachusetts employee under the unemployment statute, then you are going to be covered and have contributions taken from your pay. We say that because the unemployment statute test is somewhat complex, especially when you're talking about employees that may live in Massachusetts or work in another state, how much time they're working in each. Uh, you have remote workers that work for companies that are based out of Massachusetts. So all of that um, determines whether or not you're eligible under this program. If you are properly classifying employees through the UI process, the unemployment process, then that will determine your requirements here. So it doesn't necessarily require you, at least for W and two employees, to live in the state. You can work here and actually live in another state and be eligible for the benefits here. Mm -hmm. um, and the other unique aspect to our program, which is a statutory requirement, is that it covers 1099 miscellaneous employees. In, with certain conditions and exceptions. This is one of the things that we've provided a lot of guidance over in the last three months. Um, 1099 miscellaneous employees, and again, we're talking individuals, we're not talking corporate entity type 1099 miscellaneous right. uh, groups. 
But the 1099 miscellaneous individual statute says that if they comprise more than 50% of your workforce, then you to treat them as if they're employees, as if they're almost akin to uh, W-2s. But as I said, we've come out with a lot of guidance. We're following, uh, again, the unemployment statute 151A. And in there, there is an independent contractor test. And if you've properly classified a 1099 as an independent contractor, you don't need to consider them as part of your employee count. So there's two, two types of employees, the W-2, which is fairly straightforward, follow the unemployment statute, and the 1099s. You gotta do that uh, independent contractor test to determine whether in fact they should be part of your uh, workforce count. Got it. And obviously, as we mentioned before, uh, it does not apply to either the Commonwealth itself or municipalities, correct? It applies to the Commonwealth, but not municipalities. Oh, okay. Good. So if you're a state worker, it applies. If you're a um, municipality, it does not. I mean, a city, a town, school district. That's correct. But municipalities can opt in if they want by adopting the provisions through a local body. and they can then begin to make contributions and then potentially be eligible for benefits in the long term. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Um, and then, you know, for people like uh, Bill was saying, is the unemployment law is sort of very, it is a little bit complicated, but sometimes, you know, it, it excludes people like seasonal employees and that kind of thing. So it's the employers, if you do have a lot of those types of employees, or as you mentioned, the 1099 contractors or you're treating them as contractors, you, you do have a little bit more work to do from an employer side. That's correct. Um, so let's get to the employees. Um, so let's assume, you know, you're working for a, uh, you're working in Massachusetts, you're a W-2 employee. Uh, you're going to start, again, if the, your employer is charging you um, the statutory amount, you're going to see some contributions start to come out of your paycheck in October. And then, um, and again, you mentioned um, this is where I think the employer community uh, is going to have a little bit of a tough time tracking. But so this is a, uh, in addition to all the other leaves that are out there in terms of tracking, like you mentioned, the the Family Medical Leave Act, FMLA, that's typically unpaid. Um, This one is paid up to a certain amount. So on 1-1-2021... Uh, what are the types of leaves that employees, and again, this is the other little thing that uh, employers need to know, whether you're an employee or a former employee, you can apply for a leave starting on one one twenty twenty one. Is that correct? That's correct. And the, and, the, and the leaves that you're eligible for in January 2021 are bonding. Uh, you get up to 12 weeks of bonding with a child within... Mm-hmm. 12 months of the birth or adoption of that child. There's also a group for military uh, service members. Um, There's two categories for that, whether or not they've been injured in the line of duty and the family member has to care for that family member, or caring for a family member that's in the military, their family members. So for example, you have a, a, a spouse that's in the military, they have children, you have another family member that needs to take the children to doctor's appointments, school, whatever. There's an allotment for that. Um, that's up to 26 weeks under the military side. That's available also in January 2021. And then there's the medical leave for the employee's own medical condition. They can get up to 20 weeks of leave for caring for their own medical condition. That also begins in January 2021. And the last uh, group is the caring for a family member. Uh, you know, you have a, uh, a a child caring for a parent. That begins in July 2021. Our statute, unlike uh, the federal family and medical leave, is much broader when it comes to the definition of family member. So while we will try to uh, correlate directly with leave taken under the family medical leave, they should run concurrently, there's going to be situations where um, an employee potentially could get uh, more time than what we even allow because they may take some time under the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act. So, for example, we expand our family definition to include domestic partners and grandparents. Those aren't uh, under the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act. So there are situations where 
you know, you may be taking an unpaid leave under FMLA and getting a paid leave under our program. And um, so the the four the three leaves you mentioned, Bill, on one one twenty twenty one, that's the um, the individual, so the employee's serious health condition, the bonding, uh, birth adoption of a child, and then the military um, twenty six uh, up to twenty six weeks, and then the right. the the care of the family member, which is the twelve week one, um, starts on July one of twenty twenty one. That's correct. And all combined, in any benefit year, an employee uh, can receive up to 26 weeks of leave, you know, combination through family or medical. Um, but they're capped at the family, say, for 12, medical 20. Right. Uh, conceivably, you could get, you could have two types of leaves in any one year, uh, but it's a maximum of 26 for the combination of all. And, and the benefit year is the calendar year? The benefit year uh, is defined as the Sunday preceding the day <laughs> in which you go out on leave. Oh, so okay. You, so it is. Got it. So if you were taking leave Monday, leave begins tomorrow. Got it. Makes sense. Um, and then you mentioned, so a couple of questions on the amount. You mentioned there's a maximum of $850 a week. How is that calculated? Is it a percent of earnings up to the max or how does that work? Again, that's another situation where we follow unemployment. Uh, whatever their maximum cap is, that's going to correlate over to us. When that's adjusted, our rate will adjust, um, and that's eight fifty a week right now. Um, who's just, it may go up or go down uh, depending on the situation in January twenty twenty one. But it's based on the UI rate, and it's um, you know it's subject to adjustment. Um, the, the, I guess, analogy that we give is, is that the state's average weekly wage, which I think is around $70,000, that gets you the maximum benefit under this program at 850. So if you're above $70,000, you're not going to get eight, beyond the $850. Right. That's, so it's max 850 and max 26 weeks in a benefit year. The 850, could change, but the 26 wouldn't unless the statute changes. That's correct. Got it. And so the other question, and is there, has there been any sort of finality around, um, because there's difference in who's paying it, are these, is this 850 going to be taxable to the employee? We're st still trying to get a ruling, first of all, on how the contributions are going to be taxed. Uh, meaning those deductions, mm -hmm. whether or not they're post or pre-tax. Uh, we're waiting for the federal IRS to rule on that. Um, we believe that they will be post-tax on the contribution side. Okay. Um, and then that will dictate how the benefits themselves are taxable. But right now, that's probably one of our open, commonly most asked questions that we have. Are they pre or post-tax? We're awaiting a, re a ruling, we think, and we've put on our website that we believe it will be post-tax, but again, we always advise any uh, employer to consult with their tax advisor. Right, so in general, and the why that's important is if the deductions are post-tax, then the, the money should be received tax-free, and then vice versa. If it's pre-tax, right. then it would be, because at some point, the money has to be taxed. Right, and, you know, it's probably a little um, more challenging because of the pass-ons to the employer are discretionary. What does that mean to the employee? What does that mean to the employer if the employer is to assume, let's just say, more than what they're re required to do under the statute? So there's all these little equations and permutations that I think that's what's, uh, you know, giving us, um, you know, re the reason for why we don't have a determination yet. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I go back to uh, covered people just for one second. Uh, what about uh, self-employed uh, people? How, do, how would that work for someone who's self-employed? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great point, Pat. Um, 
so we're talking 1099 in, in the context of 1099 miscellaneous individuals, let's just say. Yep. Um, if they're not part of someone's workforce, then they can opt in on their own. The same with self-employed individuals. If you run a company, you're self-employed, you file a Schedule C at the end of the year, you can opt in as well. You have to agree to opt in for three years. And then once you opt in, you have to agree to file quarterly returns through Mass Tax Connect, which is not something that they're doing right now. Right. They file their returns on an annual basis, but if they were to avail themselves of this program, but by opting in, they would have to begin the Mass Tax Connect uh, remittance process. Got it. Um, and then, so a couple of questions on the leaves themselves. So let's say someone has been paying in. It's a they you know the employer has adopted the the state plan. Um, what? Uh, I guess what protections, do, you know, 26 weeks seems like a long time. What protections does the law allow those employees that are out on leave? There is a very um, strong job protection and retaliation provision in the statute. And the statute, by the way, that was created through the grand bargain is, is Mass General Law Chapter 175M. I should have mentioned that earlier. <laughs> uh, but our, our enabling legislation, 175M, uh, has a job protection and retaliation provision in Section 9 of our statute, which in essence says that any employee taking leave must be guaranteed that they will be reinstated to their position or an equal or better position upon their return from leave. Uh, not at all, I guess, different from what what happens in the FMLA arena. However, um, if they do take leave, and if an employer were to, let's just say, uh, act in any way that could be deemed retaliatory after that person takes leave or even up to the point where they apply for leave, then there could be certain sanctions upon the employer. So, for example, if an employer terminates an employee while they're out on leave, that's an automatic presumption of retaliation uh, in favor of the employee and the employer has to obviously overcome that with uh, a very high standard. Um, and if the employee were to, let's just say, uh, lay somebody off after they've notified them that they want to take leave, there's also a uh, sanction there to the employer. However, it doesn't rise to the automatic presumption. So the employers should be well aware of uh, this protection to the employees. Um, they should be disciplining or exercising anything that could be deemed adverse to the employee while they've applied for leave or while they're out on leave. And there's a six-month automatic presumption uh, if there's any action within six months taken upon the employee after they've begun their leave. So hmm. there is uh, this provision. This has given a lot of uh, concern to employers. We've heard a lot about it. We are not the adjudicator of these types of claims. These go right to superior court. Mm. Okay. Um, and uh, what about, uh, this is a little bit more technical, but somewhat related to everything else on the employer side. Uh, is there any, um, have you guys gotten any determination or any opinion on whether or not if the employer you know, joins the state plan and makes contributions and, and takes uh, employee contributions. Do they Have they created an ERISA plan with all of the ERISA requirements, or is that something that you leave up to the employer to decide? Yeah, we're, um, we're pretty much saying consult with an ERISA advisor. I know just from the ordinary day-to-day -day emails that I get. There's a couple of law firms out there yep. that have written opi opinions regarding this issue and whether they're subject to ERISA, and I'm not an ERISA expert, and I will uh, defer to those experts that have far more intelligence <laughs> on this subject matter than I do. And um, when, when the answer is, uh, you know, determined, please let us know, because the statute doesn't really um, describe what an employer should do with respect to how they should hold that money, commingling right. it with other funds. And so we're not really in a position to offer anything on that one. Got it. Nope, no problem. It's fair. Um, in addition, and this may determine... Uh, may be a result or the answer may determine on depend on what you guys get for a ruling is but what type of reporting if any uh is going to be sent to the either the employer or the employee about what benefits they receive because some of our 
employers have other plans that have offsets and that kind of thing. Is there any sort of reporting or, or at the end of the year for tax purposes, will employees get anything or is that to be determined? Um, they should be getting something and we're working closely with DOR, who is our, our Department of Revenue, who is our uh, you know intimate partner in all of this, obviously through the Mass Tax Connect process, but also how these are going to look on the forms at the end of the year. So there, w- there will be, and I know DOR is working on this right now, that there will be uh, some added boxes or added letters or codes within certain boxes on a on a W-2. Um, but as far as the you know benefits themselves, they file benefit. The employees file benefits directly with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the employer has some involvement, um, and more to the degree of are they an employee of yours? Uh, have they worked? Um, have they made more than forty-seven hundred dollars? That is a, that again is another unemployment uh, statute requirement. Right. And whether or not they've taken any other leaves previously uh, for the same qualifying event, we we have fourteen days under the statute to process a claim uh, when it's complete. So there's a very short window. We have to take the claim in from the employee. Uh, get back to the employer, the employer has to get back to us, and if all is true, you know, there's a determination made within 14 days of that. As far as what information uh, the employer will receive, it will be obviously that they've been approved for leave. Uh, confidentiality, uh, you know, laws obviously uh, prevent us from dis- disseminating, you know, specifics about the, about the condition. Um, but as long as a doctor signs off on a note saying that they have a qualifying event, uh, they're incapacitated, incapacitated, they're unable to work for so many weeks, that's, uh, at least on the medical side, the standard that we're, we're going to follow. Um, and then as far as the amount of benefits, we're still looking into that, um, whether or not the employer actually uh, sees what an employee's getting mm-hmm. on a weekly benefit amount. Um, to me, it makes sense, particularly as you mentioned, there are certain offsetting uh, or reductions that we can do um, with respect to plans that may be in the possession of an employer that the employee may also use. We reduce, you know, typically if somebody's receiving a workers' comp uh, benefit or an unemployment benefit, we, re- we reduce dollar for dollar. Right. So there won't be any benefit coming to the employee in those situations, and but the leave will still calculate out the amount of leave that they requested. When an employer has a family leave program that they're administering on their own and they haven't opted out through the exemption process or they have a sh- short or long-term disability policy that, that's there for their employees, the employee can supplement. They, the employee can use the combination of both benefits provided it doesn't go above their average weekly wage. So mm-hmm. somebody's making $1,000 a week, they're getting six or 700 from us, um, they can make up the difference as long as they don't go over that $1,000 a week from their employer-sponsored plan. Got it. Makes sense. And, Bill, you mentioned the exemption. A uh, couple of quick questions. Uh, I know the answers probably aren't quick, but um, on the uh, employer exemptions, um, have there been any sort of changes approved yet on sort of the bonding requirement for um, the private employers? Yes, so there's two types of exemptions. There's a private plan through mm-hmm. a private carrier exemption, and then there's the self-insured uh, approval, uh, where an employer comes in and says, we have our own plan, we're going to administer ourselves. Um, in that case, the statute requires a bond. The bond we initially established as a benefits bond. However, after looking into this a little closer, we realized that since there are no benefits being paid in the first year, that maybe we ought to reevaluate and adjust that bond. So we've come back with uh, what we consider to be a contributions bond. So the contribution bond is based on the number of employees they have. Uh, we're using the state's average weekly wage annualized, so you times that by the number of employees, times that then again by 0.75%, there's your bond amount. That'll be the bond for at least the first year, mm-hmm. October 1st through September 30th. Once we get into next year, we may have to do another formula adjustment. There is no bond requirement on a private plan. Um, if an employer applies for, receives an exemption, uh, during the first year, let's just say October 1st through September 30th, but then they decide they want to come back to the state plan. Yep. We're going to be coming back after that employer, private plan, or self-insured 
for those contributions that they should have paid had they been in the program. And then that also gets a little tricky right. with how we start dealing with that when somebody is, um, you know, on the plan for a couple of years then decides to come back. Should we be paying on day one? All of these things are being looked at right now. Right. And, and similarly, in reverse, if someone... Uh, wants the pro, you know doesn't want an exemption now, but then files one later. Do they get the contributions back if they have an exemption before the plan starts paying benefits or no? No, they don't. Um, and, and exemptions can be filed on a rolling basis. It doesn't. You know, we're we're allowing exemptions to be filed through December twentieth of this year for anybody that wants to get out of making contributions on October 1st. We're working very closely with the Division of Insurance on coming up with standard forms um, and, and to make this a, a hopefully seamless process for carriers and employers um, by developing these forms. But if you file for that uh, exemption by December 20th of 2019, you'll be good to go for purposes of not having to make contributions on or after October 1st. Right, and uh, we've heard from a few of the carriers um, there is some sort of streamlined form that instead of the policy that we can use now or something like that? Yeah, we've come out with a declaration. In essence, it's a four or five page document where the employer and the employee, uh, excuse me, the employer and the carrier agree that they will uh, develop a plan that will meet in all respects the state plan requirements. And again, that means that they're going to offer uh, the benefits at the same or better amount. They're not going to charge the employee any more than what the employee would be charged under the program. Right. They're going to also offer job protection, uh, re the job protection requirements in the, uh, that's in, that are in the statute. They're going to provide those same job protection and retaliation provisions. Um, so it has to mirror uh, equal or better what's in the statute. And um, we're coming out with some forms. We've come out with this declaration at least to at least um, get the first uh, wave of, of applications in. We hope to have a model template um, within the upcoming months, obviously well before, hopefully, <laughs> December 20th. Yep. Um, but we're trying to, you know, it, it makes sense for, for all of us to have something that we're all looking at, we all know uh, looks the same and, and fairly resembles everything else. So we're working with Division of Insurance there to uh, you know, help us with that process. Great. Well, thanks, Bill. We've, we've run out of time, unfortunately. But uh, thank you uh, very much for answering uh, all of our questions. And again, uh, this has been uh, Bill Alpine from the Mass Division of uh, Paid uh, Family Leave. And the website is mass.gov slash DFML, right, Bill? That is correct. DFML or PFML, either will work. Oh, excellent. Thanks very much, Bill. And I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.